Hello, Daniel Barnett here. Happy New Year and welcome to episode 27 of Employment Law Matters. In this episode, we're recapping the basics of constructive dismissal of the last straw doctrine and thinking about the likely level of compensation for a constructive dismissal award. A quick thank you before we kick off to Kayla Joe 88 who left this review on iTunes. Fantastic content, highly relevant subjects broken down into understandable bite-sized chunks. Keep them coming, Daniel. Thank you, Kayla Joe 88 And if you send your posting details to podcast at danielbarnett.co.uk, we'll send you a copy of my book, GDPR for HR professionals as a thank you. And if you're interested in getting a copy of all five of the books in the Employment Law Library, Employee Investigations, uh, GDPR for HR professionals, Preventing and Defending Employee Stress Claims, Employment Tribunal Time Limits, and Deconstructing Tupi, Join up to www.hrinnercircle.co.uk, the membership club I run for smart, ambitious HR professionals, and we'll send you those five books as a welcome gift. Just make sure when you're joining up, you put in the where did you hear about the HR Inner Circle field that you heard about it on Employment Law Matters podcast, so we know to send you the books. That's www.hrinnercircle.co.uk. And now constructive dismissal. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. A constructive dismissal occurs when an employee resigns in response to a fundamental breach of contract on the part of an employer. Technically, a constructive dismissal can be fair, doesn't necessarily have to be unfair. If the employer can show a fair reason for acting in breach of contract, and that it has behaved reasonably. But it's generally accepted the situation needs to be quite extreme for it to be reasonable for an employer to act in fundamental breach of contract. The most common kind of breach of contract relied upon in constructive dismissal claims is a breach of the implied term of trust and confidence. It's generally expressed as a duty without reasonable and proper cause because if the employer's got reasonable or proper cause for doing what it does, it's not a breach of trust and confidence. So without reasonable and proper cause, acting in a way which is calculated or likely to destroy or seriously damage the employment relationship between the parties. It's often expressed in a slightly circular way as acting in a way which undermines the trust and confidence at the heart of the employment relationship. And when considering whether an employee's been constructively dismissed, it's helpful to think about the five questions set out by the Court of Appeal about 18 months ago in a case called Kaur, K-A-U-R, against Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. And in that case, uh, the judge, Lord Justice Underhill, set out five stages for a tribunal to think about. Number one, what was the most recent act or omission just pausing a moment, an omission can amount to a constructive dismissal. For example, a failure to give a pay rise or a failure to take somebody on a work trip when everyone else is taken. What was the most recent act or omission on the part of the employer, which the employee says caused or triggered their resignation? Two, have they affirmed the contract since that act? Affirming means that they've 
done something which is inconsistent with bringing the contract to an end. That can either mean saying something like, don't worry about it, it's fine, or it can be waiting an unreasonably long period before resigning. So have they affirmed the contract since the act? Number three, if they haven't affirmed the contract, was that act or omission by itself a repudiatory breach of contract? Was that act a sufficiently serious thing to allow the employee to say that was calculated or likely to destroy or seriously damage the employment relationship and I'm off? Number four, if not, if that thing itself wasn't serious enough, was it part of a course of conduct amounting to several acts or omissions which viewed cumulatively amounted to a uh, breach of the term of trust and confidence? In other words, there isn't one big thing. There's a whole course and series of little things which taken together breach the term of trust and confidence. And number five, did the employee resign in response to, or at least partly in response, to that breach. There's something called the last straw doctrine. The breach of contract that allows an employee to resign and claim a constructive dismissal might be a single incident, or it might consist of a series of incidents which, over time, build up until it can be said the employer's overall conduct amounts to a fundamental breach. And when that happens, there's no need for the last straw to be a breach of contract in its own right. It just needs to be something which contributes to the wider situation and be something that's not completely innocuous or inoffensive. So in the case I mentioned before, Cower against Leeds Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust, Mrs Cower was employed by Leeds NHS Trust as a nurse. She was put through a performance process which she was unhappy about and she then said that she'd been involved in a fight with a colleague where she was accused of verbal and physical aggression. Both she and the colleague were taken through a disciplinary process and they were given final written warnings. She then told the trust she'd been given no choice but to resign and she brought a tribunal claim for constructive, unfair dismissal. And she said the rejection of her appeal from that disciplinary process was the last straw in a series of acts that together, cumulatively, amounted to a breach of the term of trust and confidence. The legal issue for the Court of Appeal was whether a last straw incident could allow Mrs Cower to claim constructive dismissal even when she had affirmed the contract following the earlier incidents she'd sought to rely on. When an employee is faced with a fundamental breach of contract by an employer, they have the choice to either resign or stay. Once they've decided to stay, they've affirmed the contract and they lose the right to resign. If they lose the right to resign, they lose the right to claim constructive dismissal. In Ms. Cowell's case, she relied on a series of incidents in the way she'd been managed over the first two years of her employment. The employer argued that the final disciplinary proceedings couldn't be seen as part and parcel of the earlier incidents. She'd clearly affirmed the contract in the months that had passed before the physical and verbal altercation that led to the warning. But the Court of Appeal rejected that. They said what mattered was whether the conduct of the employer, when taken as a whole, amounted to a fundamental breach. And the fact that following those earlier incidents, Mrs Cower hadn't resigned and so had affirmed her employment contract 
didn't stop her from resigning and claiming constructive dismissal when a new incident occurred. On the facts of the case, though, Mrs Cower lost because there was nothing improper or unfair about the way the employer handled the disciplinary process. And so the employer's handling of that process couldn't amount to a last straw because it couldn't have contributed to the undermining of trust and confidence. That meant the constructive dismissal claim was doomed. A quick word on compensation. There are two types of compensation that somebody can get for constructive dismissal. The first is compensation for wrongful dismissal. That just means their notice period. Nothing more, nothing less. There's a cap for that in the employment tribunal of £25,000, but there are very few people whose notice period is going to exceed that. Probably only football players and company directors of massive FTSE 100 companies. A wrongful dismissal claim can also be brought in the county court where no such £25,000 cap exists. And if the employee has worked for more than two years, then you have the potential of an unfair dismissal claim. And as I said at the outset, most constructive dismissal claims will also be unfair dismissals. And in that situation, the employee will be entitled to the basic award. That's calculated the same way as a statutory redundancy payment based on length of service, age and weekly wage and a compensatory award, which is intended to put someone back in the position they would have been in if they hadn't been constructively dismissed, subject to a cap of one year's salary. If you want to know more about how to value a claim, do go back and have a listen to podcast episode 7, excitingly titled Valuing a Claim, which you'll find at www.danielbarnett.co.uk slash podcast. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Please do, if you don't already, subscribe to Employment Law Matters using your favourite podcast player, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or whatever. You can find the links to do it via danielbarnett.co.uk slash podcast. And if you leave a review on the iTunes store, you might be the winner next week of a copy of GDPR for HR professionals. Thank you for listening. Next week's podcast, coming out on the 14th of January, is going to be on making an occupational health referral. Have a great week. Speak to you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.